0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. on Michael Fraga on the Nachum Siegel Network. And we're coming live from the Orthodox Union, 11 Broadway, downtown Manhattan. There is a live audience, and that's not just a laugh track in the back, folks. As I said, uh, we are live, and there is also a stream this week. So uh, it's not just audio. There's video as well at Nachum Siegel Net. That's the Twitter at Nachum Siegel Net. Great show ahead, folks. Uh, we were going to be discussing Brooklyn College, Brooklyn College in the News with a BDS anti-Israel event. And we have CUNY trustee Jeff Wiesenfeld, who is going to be joining us, my old mentor and colleague, Jeff Wiesenfeld. We are going to be having the kickoff of our Meet the Mayoral Candidates of 2013 series Bill de Blasio, the current public advocate, running for mayor of New York City, is going to be joining us as well. We have Jeff Leb in the studio with us from the Orthodox Union, who is the New York State Political Director for the Orthodox Union Teach NYS Partnership, Teach New York State Partnership, and a great advocate on behalf of our community. And also, we are going to be remembering... Ed Koch, together with Bill O'Reilly, who worked on Ed Koch's last race. That was the Bob Turner for Congress race. So, folks, great show ahead. And welcome. Thank you for joining us here. And as I mentioned, we are live from the offices of the Orthodox Unit 11 Broadway. But as we do, it's first the headlines. And we are going to just dive right in to something that obviously is clearly on the conscience of everybody in our community. I did say a couple of weeks ago... That I didn't think that uh, Chuck Hagel was really going to be that should be the Israel issue, that alone. And uh, I still feel that way. Uh, why do I? Why am I so outraged by the Chuck Hagel nomination? It's not really the fact that he is kind of par on Israel. It's the fact that he's basically not qualified. How can a guy go before the Senate, have weeks to prepare? for all the questions, and basically say, oh, I have to look into that. Oh, I really don't know. Can you give me some context on that? The guy can't remember anything he said over quite a Senate career. And it's not as if he wasn't at one point sitting on the other side of the table, doing the interviewing, doing the vetting. Somehow the guy seemed to have forgotten anything. Even the White House admits it was a little less than stellar performance. So the question, it begs the question, folks, why are they going to bat for this guy? He doesn't seem to even know the administration policy on Iran. He talked about containment. That's not even the policy. Why are they going to bat for this guy? Why is it? They they ran away from Susan Rice, who in my mind is OK. Look, at least she's friends with Obama. She shares a worldview with Obama. She's been a pretty good uh, U.N. ambassador, truthfully. She's kind of protected American interests. And she's actually had some influence and she's gotten some things done. But Chuck Hagel, I don't know. It's just puzzling. John Kerry, the Democrat, will get far more Republican support or got almost unanimous Republican support, I should say, as Chuck Hagel, the Republican. Very, very puzzling politically. What is it exactly that this administration is thinking and why are they sticking with him? Why are they going ahead and pushing this guy through? Just just something about politics these days that's uh, a little bit maddening. And the other thing, and I I want to say, is that it's good when people stop me to send me emails during the week about different things they want to follow up on. So somebody said, at the end of the last show, you mentioned all the Senate retirements, but you didn't really go into any of them. Well, yes, I did, because we were doing it in context of Frank Lautenberg retiring, potentially retiring. He hasn't done that yet. But there are other Senate retirements, and they are actually creating a lot of this turmoil that we see that we've seen over the course of this week as a kind of our second political headline of the week, which is the war within the Republican Party, the Tea Party versus the establishment. The Tea Party people are, are now being taken on by Karl Rove, who is going ahead and recruiting some big money to get mainstream, more electable candidates. Now, I agree you want to get more electable candidates. The, the, on the other hand, you also want to make sure that your base votes for you. So we have two retirements that are going to be particularly interesting for the GOP. Saxby Chambliss has retired in Georgia and the state of Georgia. And I think he was retiring because he didn't want a primary challenge from a somebody to the right for him. And Tom Harkin, the Democrat, very liberal Democrat, is retiring in Iowa. And that is a win- both are winnable seats, are very winnable seats for the Republicans. They would seem to be a ripe for having a very electable candidate. But there is this fear amongst the Republicans that they're going to go ahead and nominate somebody for the general election who will be unelectable, who will be somebody who is going to be of the, well, I'll just name names, of the Todd Akin mold, of the Murdoch mold. So there is going to be this feeling that, oh, we got to find people who are going to be moderate. And the truth is there is something to be said for Republicans thinking, "Ah, oh, we could have won Delaware. We could have won Nevada. You know, Sharon Angle. We could have won we could have won in Indiana. We could have won in Missouri. We would have won all the seats and potentially they would be in the majority but for many gaffes. And one thing I do want to say, in just a piece of opinion here, is that I don't think it's just the question of, that, uh, of the candidates being too conservative. It's the question, the question, is that a candidate discipline? Candidates, you need to be disciplined. You just, no matter how conservative you are, if you don't say, for lack of a better word, truly stupid things, you're probably going to run a very decent campaign. But if your entire campaign is going to be torpedoed by what's known as the Macaca moment, and that brings us back to uh, George Allen who was the one-time senator of Virginia who ran again for senator this time around and, and did not and lost but at one time was considered a rising star in the Republican party George Allen had a macaca moment and you might ask what is macaca well i'm not sure exactly but apparently it's a derogatory term for indian americans uh, so and for some reason he called somebody who was tracking him who supported the other side macaca and that's you know in political lore that will be our politics 101 for the night which is the pol- the macaca moment last issue that i want to very very cover briefly and this also has to do with the republicans is it's it really incredible you have an open seat right now in massachusetts and the republican party cannot find anybody to run for that seat scott brown took a pass everybody is basically taking a pass and it's not that as if the Repo- the democrat candidates democratic candidates are that strong you have sitting congressmen, you probably could run against them, but there is nobody in many of these states on the GOP bench. There's nobody sitting out there. There's no farm team. There's nobody waiting in the wings to be the next person to run in these statewide races. So, folks, it's uh, it's going to be something that we're going to see here in New York, uh, potentially in 2000. 14. I think Republicans are already fretting about the fact that they don't really have anybody of major league stature to take on Governor Andrew Cuomo. And obviously, Andrew Cuomo is very formidable and very popular right now. But that doesn't mean that somebody can't go ahead and run against him. As uh, we remember, back to 1994, you had a certain governor named Mario Cuomo, who was immensely, immensely popular, yet yet a little-known state senator named George Pataki, came out of nowhere to take him out in 1994. But there doesn't seem in a lot of cases that there is a bench of candidates on the Republican side in the Northeast who are ready to take that plunge and go ahead and uh, run statewide in some of these states. So that's a good segue to our first guest who is right on the phone. I have uh, a good friend, colleague, mentor, Jeff Weisenfeld, uh, a CUNY trustee, and CUNY is in the news right now Jeff, uh, on a lot of fronts, but uh, certainly the events going on at Brooklyn College are of particular interest to the listeners of the Nachum Siegel Network. Jeff, welcome to Spin Class.
1: Good, good. How, how are you? It's good to speak
0: to you. It's good to speak to you, Jeff. So uh, let's, let's just get right into it, okay? There is, a, for, for those who need a little bit of background, uh, the BDS movement, boycott, divestment, sanctions, they've moved into New York, they moved into the heart of the of our community at Brooklyn College and uh, held an event which was sponsored, though not endorsed, very nuanced language, sponsored by the official college. And uh, this has obviously been a source of tremendous controversy and discomfort.
1: It's a very unfortunate precedent. Uh, it is a first for City University. Uh, I see it as a dark day. And I, and I say openly, and it's, uh, it will be very shocking to some in the educational establishment as a trustee, to say that I believe that the manner in which uh, Karen Gould, uh, the president of Brooklyn College, has responded to this is a, uh, is a black mark on her record. And the reason I say that is because even though uh, I have a great deal of personal affection, and respect for the chancellor who has turned around the university and made it a worthwhile uh, place. I, I know even uh, Richard Joel, uh, the president of YU, has said to me several times, you know, it's pretty hard to compete uh, with City University uh, when uh, it, it costs uh, uh, parents $30,000 to send their kids to YU, and they can have a reasonably Jewish environment for 6000 7000 a year at Brooklyn and Queens College. But having said that, uh, Matt Goldstein, in the very least, Uh, while he felt that he had to take the position of uh, uh, somewhat absolute academic freedom, he nonetheless uh, made uh, two statements in his release that made very clear that he was repelled and abhorred and so forth, the whole concept of uh, the BDS movement and the singling out of Israel. Uh, Karen Gould, on the other hand, did no such thing. And that is a black mark. Now, of course, I take... uh, what I don't even believe is a maximalist position. I believe it's it's an absolutely fair position. This is not a question of academic freedom. And the reason I say that is because academic freedom, if you want to take it to its extreme, applies to professors and student groups. The Department of Political Science, the amalgam of those 16 professors, first of all, I don't believe that they approved it unanimously. It's not even possible. What happens is now the faculty union, the Professional Staff Congress. We're no longer living in the era of Albert Shanker and Erwin Polishuk who ran uh, the Professor's Union, and, and Shanker, who ran the Teacher's Union. You, you know, you have, a, uh, you have, frankly, a lower element, like Michael Mogrew and Barbara Bowen, who is the head of the PSC, the Professional Staff Congress. She is a Marxist, not by my own evaluation, by her own statements. She says... And proclaims very proudly that she believes in the Marxist ideal. There are people out
0: there in the world that still believe in the Marxist ideals?
1: She is a viciously anti-Israel individual, as are most of the cohorts in her coalition. And what has happened now, if you are a pro-Zionist, pro-Israeli professor in the uh, liberal arts, you cannot expect to get tenure. You put your career at risk amongst your colleagues who must determine your ne- the next uh, step on the ladder of your career. And therefore, <clears throat> they have intellectually corrupted the educational system. Let me tell you something openly. I sit at board meetings. Uh, I'm a good trustee. Uh, we have issues of diversity, whether they uh, come from the state or federal government, or we do it ourselves to make sure that uh, African-Americans, Hispanics, Asians, and so forth are represented and treated fairly and all alike. Let me tell you something. The university system's failure to have intellectual da- diversity is its downfall. The university th- universities throughout the country are, are or are becoming more and more intellectually corrupt. There is no diversity of opinion, and it would behoove the state of New York. Uh, one remedy for this is that for many decades, the uh, professors within a particular department choose their chairman. This is a recipe for poison, poison disaster and coercion. The bylaws of the city university should be amended by a, an act of the state legislature and should be signed by the governor, which would revert the selection of chair, chair people of departments to the presidents of the college or uh, with a veto, if need be, by the chancellor and his selection. That would assure with the right president and with the right chancellor Pardon me that you have a balance in terms of ideology. Because right now right now you cannot be pro Israel and and expect to advance within the department and little by little as professors retire this situation is getting worse and worse. Now let me come to the community. I blame the community equally. Listen, I beat my heart out. Which
0: community, Jeff?
1: The Jewish community. I've eaten my heart out, and I've, you know, I, I used to have a, uh, an uncle who were, he was a cab driver, and, you know, he couldn't take, you know, the, the, some of the passengers would make him crazy, and he would come home, and, and he would say, I, I cannot take it. Half the people in the world are crazy, and the other half are not normal. So what, uh, by, in a similar vein, in a similar vein, uh, you have a catch-22 situation. The Jewish community, two-thirds of the Jews... Two-thirds of the Jews basically are apathetic, don't get involved, don't care. And half of those two-thirds, or a full third, are absolutely hostile to the rest of us, and to the state of Israel. This is the sad state of the Jewish people. In my opinion, and again, I'm speaking as a, as a trustee, uh, where I could be condemned roundly by a lot of people, but I really don't care. There should have been 10,000 people at the gates of Brooklyn College today shying Chai and speaking up for their rights, the same rights that we Jews fought for African Americans, for Hispanics, for everybody else. And our children have to be in an atmosphere which technically is prohibited by the Civil Rights Act of 1964, they are entitled to an atmosphere. Of of comfort, same as anyone else. And if you read the Algemeiner and the Jewish press and all the papers that are reporting on this BDS conference, these students feel they have no home in their college. They can no longer trust the professors who have been their teachers, because now that they know that they're a bunch of Jew haters associating with with worse Jew haters, with with genocidalists, with uh, people associated with Hamas and so forth, it's not. It, it's bad in terms of our communal response. It requires a legislative <clears throat> excuse me, remedy which would take chairmanship selection away from the college. You know, so by the way, it's, right, very, Jeff, it's Jeff, very analogous let, Jeff. and incestuous to the self-selection by the Supreme Court of itself in Israel, in a way.
0: Now, I, I, hear, I hear exactly what you're saying, but what Mike Bloomberg uh, turned around and said, well, academic freedom, if you don't like it, go live in North Korea. I thought that's you know interesting <clears> statement. You know, But uh, what about academic freedom?
1: Look, again, as I pointed out in the beginning, academic freedom, if you take it to its extreme, it applies, number one, to students and to professors. It does not apply to an administrative arm of the university. The department that is the sum of those 16 professors, they are a department. They are an inanimate object they are entitled individually to their to their academic freedom if you would they're not entitled to convey an endorsement of a conference by a department then it, it, it should not have been it should not have been permitted and
0: so what 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 kind of action might be taken is is, is there action to be taken
1: Yes, I told you very simply. I, I'm the, saying,
0: aside from changing the bylaws, as far as the election of the chairman of the departments and the like,
1: well, you know, is there
0: is there something? You I know, mean, isn't the remedy isn't the remedy for anti-Israel rhetoric to have pro-Israel rhetoric? Is that isn't is that not the remedy, or what what is it? Isn't. Uh, should we write more articles? Or I, as you mentioned, is, the protests. I, th- I is, think a lot of politicians in New York rallied to the, so- to the side <laughs> of protesting this. Uh, There's
1: not an equal playing field on the campus because clearly these departments are not going to sponsor pro-Israel conferences. They're just not going to do that. So you're not, And also, it must be understood that whenever you get a pro-Israel speaker, a speaker Michael Oren, or in the old days a King Kirkpatrick and so forth, These radicals, they don't really believe in freedom of speech. They only believe in freedom of speech that presents their viewpoint. If someone else comes on the campus, they disrupt. They might beat up Jewish students. They harass. Uh, They have all kinds of tactics. Their, Their view of freedom of speech is to have their speech and shut down all other speech. That it, is, is, that,
0: is that something that could happen in New York? I mean, we don't look at that as being possible. Same country I mean, that might we, be Concordia College in Montreal, in the, but.
1: We are in the same country as Irvine, California. There's absolutely no reason why, ultimately, as a critical mass of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a critical mass of this type of radicalism is being constructed, there's absolutely no reason why that cannot happen. Here as well There's no reason and it will and i promise you it will because let me tell you at some point no chancellors forever he's done a great job but at some point matt goldstein will retire i'm due off the board within the year unless uh the governor wants to keep me but i'm sure he has his own appointees well we we we, you know,
0: have, to, we like have we have to hope that uh you know that they keep a balance of, of good voices and strong voices on the board so jeff i really appreciate it by the way how many people attended this bds uh uh Event today. I
1: haven't heard yet because I was uh, at a meeting tonight, and I'll I'll guess I'll know in the morning.
0: Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you for keeping us updated. And this is uh, obviously a very important issue and a critical issue. I think that enough people don't recognize and they don't realize how important it is the battle for uh, heart for the minds of uh, of people in college and to make sure that they that these type of hateful events don't uh, continue. So uh, kudos to you for going but, ahead but and uh, taking the much, lead on that. like
1: I said, the community has to take an interest. That's really what it comes down to. I,
0: I, I couldn't agree more. Jeff Wiesenfeld, CUNY trustee, and a uh, great voice for all kinds of of good, uh, good things for our community. And thank you for all your leadership, Jeff. Uh, thank you, and we hope to have you on again soon. So this is spin class. We were just talking to Jeff Wiesenfeld, CUNY trustee, and we are now going to uh, just very quickly uh, introduce Jeff Leb, our guest host tonight uh, of the IPA uh, here at the Orthodox Union. And uh, Jeff, you want to just give us a quick rundown on the IPA before we get to a uh, segue, before we get to our next guest?
2: Sure. The, the IPA is, uh, is a political arm of the Orthodox Union. Uh, political
0: arm. So you guys run for office. How does that work?
2: Well, yeah, you know, we have to make sure that kosher is being supervised around the country. Okay, but but, uh, in all seriousness, we're we're active politically on uh, in many different uh, many different states across the country to uh, promote uh, the values uh, that are important to the Orthodox community, mostly education, and uh, we're active in uh, Nebraska, Florida, Texas, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, New Jersey and uh pennsylvania and uh now uh, new york state
0: so we're, we when we talk about education we're talking about the Children from our community who attend uh, private schools. And
2: yeah, we're talking about school choice and tuition affordability.
0: Fantastic. Okay, great. So, uh, and what what about uh, the active role in city politics in that uh, area? I know that you you're all dressed up right now, as people can see on the camera. So you you were spent some time in the city council today.
2: Well, I was told I was going to be on the show, so I made sure to dress up very okay. nicely today. Very nice, Jeff. I appreciate <laughs> it. What about the city council? Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Today the city council had a hearing. Uh, they had a hearing um, on a resolution that they were putting out uh, to encourage FEMA and the federal government to give uh, give aid to houses of worship, shuls and uh, churches and mosques that were damaged that were damaged and affected by Sandy, and uh, FEMA is denying them aid. So, yeah, it's
0: an incredible thing yeah. if you think the federal law that prohibits – houses of worship for being rebuilt with federal money. And it's uh, it, I- incredible discrimination because you know, certainly the hurricane didn't discriminate at all. And uh, houses of worship and, uh, and the like are, are so critical to community infrastructure. So, uh, well, th- well, thank you for, for, for being out there and we're gonna you know, kind of work uh, a lot of your work in over the course of the show. But right now we have the first of our Meet the Mayor All Candidates uh, series on with public advocate, Bill de Blasio. Bill, thanks for coming to SPIN Class, and uh, welcome.
3: It's my great pleasure.
0: Okay, Bill, we are live from the headquarters of the Orthodox Union in Lower Manhattan, 11 Broadway, not too far from your, your good offices. And uh, I'm here live with the, with the, uh, some important personalities, including Jeff Lebb from the Orthodox Union, who was out at the city council today. as uh, And uh, give us a quick rundown on uh, there are five, you know last term five of the last mayors or mayoral terms were not democrats and you're running as a democrat for uh for mayor right now and uh, so it's been quite a it's quite a bit of time since a democrat won uh the mayoralty of the city of new york
3: well i think it's long overdue uh for a lot of reasons but i also think it will absolutely be a democratic year um Look, I'm running with a notion of changing some things. You know you know, I'm a proud Brooklynite, uh, and you know I have very deep uh, relationships with the Jewish community. And when you think about the Jewish community, it's in all five boroughs, but overwhelmingly an outer borough community. And like so many other outer borough communities, I think there's a sense that a lot of current city policies have not been serving all neighborhoods equally. Uh, whether you're talking about, you know, what's happened to small businesses, whether you're talking about uh, jobs issues, and you go across a whole spectrum, uh, I think we have a big task ahead of creating more fairness in our city. And I think that's one of the reasons why it will be a democratic year. I uh, respect Michael Bloomberg. I have some serious differences with him. Most notably, I think he should not have stuck around for a third term. But um, I think when you think about that fact, you think about what's happened with the economy. You know a lot of other factors. The next mayor is going to be a Democrat.
0: So, Bill, uh, before you were the elected public advocate, to citywide office, you represented a piece of Borough Park, and uh, I I remember very fondly uh, your close relationship that you had with the community there and uh, a lot of different uh, communities around the city. So, so thank you very much for that strong relationship. Uh, I, I want to just kind of get right into it. The, there is this, I I guess if people handicap the race, they kind of look at you as the most left wing candidate. To a certain degree, is that that was progressive? I'm sorry, I, I that, that's the more appropriate word, you know. Yes, thank, thank you, thank you for cleaning up there, Michael. I I, I, <laughs> I, I, I apologize. You know, look, it's it's you, you know what we're on radio, it's not TV. You don't have to be as careful about what you say. So, uh, well, the, listen, first of all, you, you're, you're, you're
3: taking
0: you, you're taking you're taking the progressive. Uh, your path to victory is the progressive path, correct?
3: Well, I'm a progressive person, but first I want to thank you for what you said. I, look, I was honored for those eight years to represent uh, a big piece of Borough Park, a big piece of Kensington, and that's what gave me this really deep relationship with the Jewish community I have, and, I, and I've been able to you know, deepen it further and go citywide with it as public advocate. And there's a lot uh, that I've been able to do with the community, I look forward to doing a, a whole lot more. And bluntly, we need uh, a mayor who understands this community and has a long track record of working with the community and I think I'm one of the few candidates uh, either Democrat or Republican who can say that uh, and back it up but as to the sort of philosophical lineup here look I'm a progressive guy and I'm proud of it in my view being a progressive means you know being concerned that uh, middle-class and working-class people have every opportunity for jobs you know that we we make sure every kind of education system serves people uh, that we make sure uh, you know, the folks at the grassroots are served by their government. So I think my vision of being a progressive fits what most Democratic primary voters feel and, and what most New Yorkers feel. I also think in the context of the Democratic primary, you know, the values I've expressed really represent the majority. I think Democrats, even if they respect some of what Bloomberg's done, are really ready for something different. Uh, and you and I know there's plenty of issues where uh, Bloomberg's left people a lot of questions. I'll use one uh, important one we all cared about, the, the, the priority seven child care vouchers, the child care vouchers for large families. every, every year that issued. seems to be every year that seems to be a fight for some reason. Well, and it's <laughs> a fight we ultimately lost. and I have to tell you, I've always been frustrated because in the 2009 election when when Bloomberg was in trouble, he came running to the Jewish community for help. A lot of folks in the community were willing to support him, and then he turned around and, and almost immediately cut child care vouchers for larger families. And that was wrong. It's something I fought. I fought for those vouchers. Every year I was in the council, I continued fighting for them as an advocate. And I look forward, as mayor, to bringing them back, because i got to tell you something. childcare child care and early childhood education is the future of this city. It is absolutely the future of this city. And whether people come from a smaller family or a bigger family, they need those opportunities, and there's no reason on earth that a Jewish community uh, was put in a position, no no viable educational reason, social reason, budgetary reason, why the Jewish community had to bear the brunt of that budget cut. Remember, so many other types of child care, so many other programs were cut a little. This program was zeroed out, eliminated, and it was unfair. So I say that to say, when I talk to people, especially in the outer boroughs, about what they think post-Bloomberg, they want something different. And I think I can provide a vision of a much more fair city that people can buy into.
0: So as far as there is this feeling that the unions around the city are kind of waiting for they're waiting out the Bloomberg term. None of the major unions have contracts currently, and they're waiting till this mayor goes because they're expecting a friendlier mayor. Can you give some comfort to the concerns that a lot of middle-class families, particularly in our community, might have that some of the Democratic candidates are too close to the unions in a way, and that they take the, the bus driver strike, for example, as a good example. Uh, you know, what what do we? How do you? What do you say
3: to counter that? Well, a couple of things. First of all, Michael, I think the the concern. I understand where the concern comes from. Uh, people or taxpayers are hardworking. Look, I, I am a homeowner. I have uh, two kids. Uh, who came up through the public school system? Uh, you know, I understand the the challenges a lot of middle-class families are facing in the city, and they want to know that their city government is going to be careful with their money. That's the bottom line. Look, first of all, uh, when it comes to the school bus strike, uh, it is a crisis that did not have to happen. Um, the mayor, I think, uh, approached this in a way that really fomented the crisis, and I think when you look at the history. Going back even to the 1970s, previous mayors uh, found ways to keep the buses running, even when there were problems or issues with the union. They always kept the buses running and worked those issues out separately. And I think this is a a huge mistake uh, that the mayor let it get to this point. Uh, It's especially horrible for special ed kids. And I've actually been working with parents all over the city to try and force everyone back to the table uh, to settle this. But to the bigger question of unions, I'll tell you, I I understand the mayorality, and you have to balance the budget, period. By law, you must balance the budget. And I think my relationships with folks in labor will help, because there's a respectful relationship, uh, but people understand I mean business, and I'm going to give them every opportunity uh, to work fairly with the city government to find solutions. Uh, As I always say, there's a lot of things the labor movement wants uh, from the city government, and so the city government has a lot of leverage in those negotiations. But in the final analysis, you gotta balance the budget. That's what every mayor is hired to do.
0: But won't a lot of a lot of the unions out there have very high expectations from a De Blasio administration? As far well, as well, they would have high expectations
3: of having respect and communication and having uh, the opportunity to find some meaningful compromises. I think those are fair expectations. But in the end, uh, look, I use the example of uh, Governor Cuomo. Governor Cuomo, like his father before him, had tremendous labor support throughout his political career, uh, one in large measure because of it. Uh, When he had tough decisions to make, uh, tough budget decisions, he sat down with labor and gave them a chance to be part of the solution. And I think, in general, labor did that with him. Um, But he also made clear he had a job to do. So I think, you know, I actually think the mutual respect helps. I think it makes it easier to have a dialogue. I think it makes it easier to find some solutions that are Acceptable to everyone involved.
2: Uh, you know, I understand why
3: people think, well, you know, if you're their friends, they're going to have these vast expectations. I think a lot of folks in labor, uh, you know, read the same newspapers you and I do. They understand that there's a structural economic problem here, that government's going to be stretched for quite a while. And uh, they can't expect the sun, the moon, the stars here. And I wish Bloomberg weren't leaving all these labor contracts open. I don't think it's real responsible, but that's the reality.
0: Fair enough. And, and just to Say I don't mean this in a, a pejorative way at all. As far as them, you know, having the high expectations, I I understand that the purpose of these, you know, unions is to do the best what they can for the mayor, but ho- uh, for their members, I'm sorry. Uh, just uh, as we close, you know, one more question with regard to Brooklyn, and then uh, you know, an outer borough question, something that's really been. Yeah uh on the minds of many in the Jewish community and particularly as as the orthodox community seems to be pitted against the russian community in the final city council redistricting maps and uh, you know there doesn't see there seems to be uh, that it happened in the past that the orthodox community seems to always get a uh, short shrift when it comes to some of these maps, they always seem to just uh, kind of be pigeonholed into uh, a, you know, a smaller uh, piece of the pie than they might have otherwise. So, uh, you know, maybe, you know, do you have any opinion on that on that specific issue?
3: Well, I, I'm going to give you a little bit broader point. I, I, I am not happy with how the redistricting process went in general. I mean, the most uh, It's supposed to be nonpartisan example. in the city, correct?
0: Say again? It's supposed to be nonpartisan in the city.
3: It's supposed to be nonpartisan, and I have to say the way Mayor Bloomberg and Speaker Quinn uh, organized the membership uh, of the Redistricting Commission, uh, you know, I think it led to a process. Even if some of the individuals involved are good people, the ultimate outcome left a lot of people, a lot of communities unsatisfied that they not only didn't gain in representation, they lost. Now, we know the Jewish community is bigger than ever in this city, or bigger certainly than in recent decades, uh, and yet I've heard immense concerns about lack of representation. Uh, You know, there were also obvious other problems, like the district that was carved specifically for Vito Lopez, who, you know, is someone that unfortunately broke the public faith uh, by some of the things he did. So I don't think we can consider this process a success, and uh, all I can say is going forward I I would like to see, and something I would do as mayor, a a truly nonpartisan commission that gets to the actual nature of our communities and trying to provide meaningful representation, and I don't think that happened uh, sufficiently this time.
0: So just just as a very very final question I think you you made a big st- uh, point of saying in your announcement all boroughs are created equal and that's yes. always uh. do you, any comment on the fact that uh, Ed Koch only wanted to be buried in Manhattan Well I have a lot of respect <laughs> for Ed Koch you know I, I have I have my differences with him but a ton of respect to and
3: uh you know, uh, yeah, that's, that's one thing we get to choose for ourselves, right?
0: Right, <laughs> but, right. Okay. But I do
3: think the notion all boroughs are created equal, it should not be a radical notion. Because Manhattan... certainly pe- in recent years...
0: Right, Manhattan it, it
3: needs- seems to be the only
0: borough that you're not permitted to get buried in these days. So that's... Uh, he, got a, he got a special I, you know, dispensation.
3: <laughs> he, he is a special guy. We'll give him that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, well... Uh, Public advocate Bill De Blasio, thank you for joining us here on Spin Class. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Hope you hopefully you'll come back again, and uh, it's it's clear to to me, at least, uh, why you're such an effective public advocate. Just uh, to give you a quick shout out, you were the one really who pushed the city to make the mold issue a big issue in the aftermath of of Hurricane Sandy. It took the administration and the council a little while to come around. And uh, as somebody in the Hurricane Sandy affected area, I have to thank you for really making that a priority and and, and making sure that stayed on the conscience of everybody at City Hall. So thank you.
3: Thank you, Michael, very much. I talked to so many homeowners dealing with that issue, and it's it's my job to protect their interests.
0: Absolutely. A very effective public advocate, Bill de Blasio. Thank you for joining us here on Spin Class. All right, take care. Thank you. We're here again still live at the Orthodox Union, and I'm sitting here still with uh, Jeff Lebb. We are on the video stream. got to adjust to uh, being on video at the same time. So, uh, Jeff, we gave a little overview of the IPA there, and uh, let's uh, give... Give me a little bit of an idea of when you go to Albany. What what happens and what's your agenda and how do you lay out that agenda? Well,
2: when we go to Albany, we meet with uh, as many elected officials as possible to gauge their interest in uh, private school, uh, you know, private schools issues and uh, school choice, tuition affordability. Uh, we have very productive meetings with them. We tell them what our agenda is and uh, we try to get them on board. And uh,
0: was well, there anything specific that you kind of get them on board? It was just the idea. Or there's uh, there's actual
2: well I don't want to bore your listeners, but there definitely they're nothing's
0: uh, <laughs> boring about making tuition more affordable.
2: <laughs> there are there are definitely some issues. the the big issue on the table. I mean, now nobody is, in
0: this room would you know be very uh, very happy or laughing when they heard about my tuition bill. So let's uh, you know.
2: <laughs> the big issue in. Uh, the big issue in Albany right now is uh, is mandated services and uh, and cap reimbursement, and uh, not to get too technical, but uh, those, are, uh, those are two streams of, of uh, funding that uh, schools are mandated to do, hence the term mandated services, and uh, the state owes schools right now, the non-public school community, the private school community, something like $210 million uh, in overdue funds, and uh, every year the, the debt gets bigger, and... Uh, Every year, we ask for payment, and uh, we never really seem to get it. So that's something we're really going after right now. Uh, the governor gave us a 4% increase this year in, uh, in mandate services and uh, cap reimbursements, but uh, we're still short uh, 24 million for, $34 million for the year. So,
0: How do we short $34 million? I, I, to explain to me the math there.
2: Well, there's a formula that uh, there's a formula based on the amount of uh, times attendance is taken. Right, and but the, I
0: understand yeah. that. But what I'm saying is, how are you short in the end? I, if, if, if the program is there, the program is there, right?
2: And right, right. Because, so well, it's one of these mandates that the state uh, the state just doesn't seem to uh, find the money to pay for. Much like the CFE, which uh, the campaign for fiscal equity, which has never been uh, has been fully funded at all. So
0: so is that an example of fuzzy math? Is that the is that the idea? Is that somebody says okay, it's going to cost this, but really it's got, uh, the it reality really co- is it, it's. I mean, it's going to cost. It should cost X, but we're only giving
2: you Y. Yeah. Listen, the reality is that there's uh you know, we're we're in tough uh, financial times, tough fiscal climate, and uh, choices have to be made as to what will get funded and what won't get funded. And uh, you know, we want to make sure that our mandate services and uh, the issues that affect the private school community are one of those issues that will get funded. Uh, you know, all we can do is advocate and, uh, and lobby, and I'm working with the, uh, the UJA and uh, the Catholic Conference on this, and I know uh, good has showed up this past week also to speak on the issue, and, uh, you know, all the groups they are had, working together. They had a mission this week. It was uh, yeah, they a, had a mission, yes, right. yes, and uh, all these groups are working together on uh, the same cause, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll ultimately be successful on this, and we're also pursuing some other initiatives.
0: Uh, so how much money are you hoping to bring back this year?
2: Ideally, I would love it if we can get a full repayment of two hundred and ten million dollars. Two hundred
0: ten uh, million dollars. So that's that's another, I guess, example of the of the fuzzy math, right? Because there was a, a bill actually passed into law last year that said that the state had to go ahead and and repay this repay the, re, the two hundred ten million dollars. Right. It was and the education department seems to have ignored that. Right.
2: There was yeah. They they were supposed to come out with a plan to explain how they were going to pay it down and. Uh, that plan so far is nowhere to be seen, uh, despite repeated uh, inquiries on it by many different assembly members and senators. So
0: isn't that like a contempt of court type of thing? Can you be arrested for not uh, you know what, following I, the law?
2: I imagine you can sue him, but uh, you know how that goes, Michael. You're very politically savvy, and you know how many years that would take. I'm not an attorney,
0: <laughs> so I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't know about uh, you know, that type of thing.
2: I think it would probably take a long time to wind its way through the courts to— uh,
0: so, uh, I, I guess can't pay for fiscal equity. That took a— uh, ex- Exactly. What, 10, 12, 15 years? And they years? were
2: successful, and then what happened? So what can
0: our what can our listeners and viewers uh, at home do to help you?
2: Uh, I think it's very important to stay in touch and stay in contact with your elected officials and uh, let them know that this is, is a Is there priority. an agenda
0: for them? Is there something they can, you know, where do they do, go to do their research? Do you communicate with them or like you're doing now? Let's let's say they happen to miss the show. I, I It's hard to be- believe that that could happen, but uh, let's, let's say they miss the show. So how do they get in touch with well,
2: you? Well, they can go to our website, advocacy.ou.org. Okay. And uh, they can sign we'll t- up for we'll updates. We'll tweet that out there. Definitely. And okay. appreciate. And uh, we are in constant communication with the uh, people on our list. We let them know what's going on. And uh, when we're going up to Albany, I'm there every week. Uh, so far, I've been there every week of the session. And, uh, you know, we're trying to make sure that we can uh, deliver for the, the Jewish community.
0: Okay. Well, let's uh, gonna take a quick pause on that. Right there we have uh, Bill O'Reilly on the line. And uh, Bill is uh, one of the premier Republican uh, strategists in New York State. And is uh, most famously I guess most recently remembered for pulling off the upset win of Bob Turner in uh, that special election that everybody seems to remember uh, here in, in New York City Of course, unfortunately, uh, congressman Turner uh, had the double whammy of number one being redistricted out of his out of his uh, seat and also flooded out of his home so uh, Bob Turner a, a really wonderful man and uh, but uh, Bill, uh, in that race, worked very, very closely with uh, the late former mayor, Ed Koch. And uh, he's going to reminisce a little bit with us on that relationship. Bill, welcome to Spin
4: Class. Oh, Michael, Michael, thank you so much for having me on. It's, a, it's an honor to be on and, and to talk about Ed Koch at any time is a double honor. You know, what, what, a, what an amazing guy. It, it even seems, I mean, it's now been several days since he passed, but it just seems almost impossible that he's gone. I'm, I'm waiting for him to turn the corner and, and uh and, and and say he was kidding because he's just such a big force in all our lives.
0: So Bill, give it give it to me. You're a Republican strategist. Ed Koch is a Democrat, or I'm sorry, was yeah. a Democrat, famous Democrat, a uh, prominent Democrat. What are you doing working on the same team?
4: <laughs> it, it's funny because the the first time I, I met the mayor, we we were on different teams. He, he was uh he was mayor, I was working for a state senator, a Republican state senator throughout nineteen eighty eight. And I was sent. He was going to be doing a news conference, and I was sent as a kind of a, a young cub staffer to go and listen in, or you know, kind of spy on his news conference he was holding. They call that a tracker. Went, they call that a tracker, exactly. But I, I was going to go invisible, and um, you know, I, I, we we uh, were walking down separate converging paths on the north east end of City Hall Park, and we we basically banged right into each other. But before we did, he saw me coming, and he just checked me, and I went flying on my butt. And the the mayor just stepped right over me and kept going. And the security guards picked me up and brushed me off. And I think they thought I was a reporter because I had a notebook in my hand. And I remember thinking at the time, boy, Mayor Koch is even tougher than than they say. (laughs) He's just such a determined man. And so it was very nice years later to be able to work alongside him and not not to end up on my butt as a result. <laughs> so you got you got knocked down by the
0: little Jewish guy. Exactly. Exactly.
4: <laughs> only I, I've, only I've, only I've in
0: New, only in New York <laughs> does that kind of thing happen, where the uh, where where the, where the Irish guy gets gets knocked down by the Jewish guy. So <laughs> exactly.
4: The <16th> 62 <laughs> Jewish guy. He was fantastic. You know?
0: So so Bill, talk to us a little bit about the Turner race. A little bit of reminiscing about you know Ed Koch really yeah. put everything he had into that one.
4: He put everything he had into it, and and that was one thing that I found amazing about Mayor Koch was that was that the, the the final 10 years of his life um, may have been some of his most relevant. Uh he 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 was what he did with Bob Turner he, he first of all he made that race winnable. He made a lot of us who worked in the race look look a lot better than we are. Um and he took a huge political risk in doing it. I mean the the mayor had had endorsed Republicans in the past. He would uh you know he would endorse the person um and not necessarily the party. But he was you know pretty a pretty strong Democrat, and, uh, but he picked a, a total unknown in Bob Turner. And, um, and he backed him based solely on his uh, position on Israel. In, do, in doing so, he, um, he you know went against an Orthodox dude that he's known for years. He's been close with the Weprin family, and they're a wonderful family. And David's a wonderful guy. And, um, but but Ed Koch saw an opportunity to make a very, very large point in, um, in a, a special election, and he did. He made a huge point. I mean, I remember the, the night that Bob Turner won. The drugs headline that night was Revenge of the Jews, and it was just a classic. It was wonderful, and it really, I think, put the Obama administration back on its heels um, because they realized they had a problem, and, um, and I, that was all Ed Koch. I mean, it was a lot Bob Turner, too, but without Ed Koch, it, it was not possible. So he took a real gamble and uh, was willing to do that at age 88. I mean, he could have. Set, the mayor could have settled on his laurels. I mean, by the Lord, his laurels run, uh, you know, run fifty years. But still, at eighty-eight, he was taking on new challenges and taking risk in them, and that's such a rarity.
0: So, a, a courageous politician. Well, I guess you, you, you know, it personifies a little bit the lame duck, right? That you have. Uh, politicians who are nearing the end of office, they're willing to take certain risks. And then obviously if they're out of office, uh, they're willing to take even more risks. Uh, but how did he remain relevant for all those years, in, in your opinion? Right? I mean, how did he even even take the... His his uh, reform movement with regard to Albany, which ultimately was unsuccessful, exactly. he tried to do the whole yeah. redistricting thing, the independent yeah. redistricting, uh, New York uprising. He got he put that at the top of the agenda, but in the end, he didn't win. But yet, he managed right. to stay relevant so much to New York City politics and New York State politics.
4: A- absolutely, and when I think about it, I did a I wrote an op ed piece on on the mayor after his passing, and I said he was what Teddy Roosevelt had in mind when he wrote "The Man in the Arena." Was that was that? Ed, Ed Koch always fought for what he thought. He didn't care about the labels. He didn't care about the consequences. He was willing to be brave politically and and as a man. And, and uh, he, w- he would go out there and have that fight. It was it was a pretty amazing thing. I think that he, I mean, no, he stayed, you know, relevant after Lee did all kinds of things. He had a movie reviews for a while and, and he was active. But I think when he saw, and I'm just speculating, but... When Albany really went into gridlock, you know, four or five years ago, when when really nothing was getting done, and there was an absolute paralysis in Albany, uh, you know, this was after Elliot Spitzer, with Governor Patterson was having a pretty tough time, and before Governor Cuomo came in, um, I, I think a lot of people were genuinely alarmed, I- including Mayor Koch, and I think Koch decided to get up and do something about it, and and he got really active with with his reform movement. Um, I didn't agree with all his positions on it, but, but he cared about it, and he traveled the state, and he wrote a you know a, a, you know wrote, you know fifty op eds. He was out there every day doing news conferences, and he's just such a gutsy guy. You know, I, I've often thought that we should all live like Ed Koch, but I think if we did, we'd all kill each other. You know, <laughs> um, he just he just would go out there and, and um, unapologetically live his life and state his point, and um, and he did that to the end.
0: You know, Bill, you know, we we look at politics today so much about polling and focus groups and exactly. everybody's so afraid to do anything that might – they might get a primary, they might get an opponent, they might – somebody might stop supporting them. You know, what, yeah. is that? Is that the, what you see as a, as a consultant, the
4: problem with the oh, – yeah. Absolutely. I absolutely see it. You know, Governor Christie said during the Republican convention – I think it was Governor Christie – he said something um, – I wish I had coined it. He just said – you don't follow polls, you make polls. And and I just love that. I got a little shiver up my spine on the floor because that, that was what an Ed Koch would do or Rudy Giuliani would do. Or the, the, the real leaders that step forward, they make the polls. You know, they go out there and they step forward when no one else is willing to do it and they say it. And there's a, you know, when they say things that are inherently true, you know, they, they're they felt by by voters, by everyday people. Koch was was one of those he made polls he didn't follow them and today everything is polled and focus grouped and you turn on fox or msnbc or you know any any other kind of networks and you know what you're going to hear it's all tested uh lined it's you know i do it for a living i write talking points for clients but it's all you could tell the difference between genuine and canned and Koch was genuine
0: so, Bill, one thing I pointed out earlier uh, tonight was that the difficulty the Republicans are having in finding a candidate for the special election in Massachusetts, and I, I kind of made the connection as the uh, the f- expected difficulty they're going to have in finding a good candidate for two thousand fourteen to run for governor. Uh, wh- what do you see about the GOP bench or the the problem that
4: Republicans are having in that regard? I mean, it, it, I mean, I, I think, I think a, a, a quality. I was up with the state GOP in Albany yesterday, and there was a meeting of the executive committee and of, and of the county chairman. And there's th- a, a, a very, very strong feeling that that Governor Cuomo, who started off on a reform agenda, has has veered very much to the left, and has veered very much towards a presidential race rather than what's in the in the best interest of, of New York. Um, so I think you will see uh, people step forward. You know, there are a few names that that, that are. Uh, Uh, out there. Uh, Greg Edwards came out today, a former lieutenant governor candidate. Uh, There's Chris Collins, Rob Astorino, who I work with. Um, There are some very talented Republicans out there. The question is, um, you know, who will step forward? They'll have to do it pretty early. Governor Cuomo is a very talented guy. He's exceptionally bright politically, as everyone knows. And and he'd be a very tough competitor. Even if his numbers have dropped a little bit, he's going to be strong. So it may be somebody you know, we we'll have to be really brave and go out there and be willing to be an underdog and uh, to make the points that have to be made. But, uh, you know, someone will be there. Someone will be there to step forward.
0: Okay. So, Bill, one last question. We're almost out of time. Uh, Bobby Jindal, governor of Louisiana, said the Republicans have to stop being the stupid party. Any thoughts?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, he just got the, in my estimation, he's absolutely right. We, we, uh... We spend way too much time shooting ourselves in the in the foot. It's funny how the uh, the Democrats used to be the stupid party. They they'd be the ones that would um, the circular firing squad.
0: That was the famous circular uh, firing squad. Exactly. Yeah, my, now my, it's my, now now it, all <laughs> politics is cyclical, of course. <laughs>
4: it sure is. My, my wife is a is a staunch uh, Democrat and has worked in Democratic politics in the past, and she used to always say, well, "How are you guys so disciplined?" And uh, and now it's just the opposite, where uh, you know the, the Democrats are a lot more disciplined and and they share data and and they uh they tend to avoid uh divisive primaries and we're just killing each other <laughs> right right now but you know i i think it's uh sometimes things have to you know fights have to occur um you know intra-family fights and, and i think the party needs to decide what it is going forward and it'll it'll get there but uh i think it's like sausage making it's going to look look a little bit unappealing until
0: the final product is is ready. Well, Bill O'Reilly, Republican strategist, columnist in Newsday. You can catch his columns there. And uh, thank you for joining us here on Spin Class. We hope to have you again in the very near future. Thank you, Bill.
4: Thank you so much, Michael. Take
0: care. We are still live here on Spin Class at the Orthodox Union at 11 Broadway. We're back with Jeff Lev, IPA, political director of the Orthodox Union and Teach NYS yes initiative. Wow, what a mouthful, Jeff. How do how do you when you introduce yourself, do you go through that entire title? Well, listen,
2: I'm the I'm the New York State Director. I'm fortunate to have a bigger state director on top of me who I can refer ah, to. Let's talk about the team. <laughs> the, team uh, well, the team. The team. Aside from Mayor Fertig who's here. Yeah. That's uh, let's talk well, about the Mayor team. Mayor Fertig I think is definitely the one of the best the best recent addition to the OU and he's taken the OU to a whole new level as far as uh, its communications and its press and uh all all those wonderful things and uh you know we thank mayor furtick and i'm sure that we will begin a new strata of success with his uh with his tenure here and uh as far as the state politics we have uh mori mori litwack who's in charge of all the state politics he oversees the poli- you know around the country all the different states that we're active in and you have nathan diamond and nathan is a past guest on the show yes a past guest on the show he's been at the ou for probably closer to twenty years say. and uh... and he's been extremely successful in really working behind the scenes and making sure that uh... the jewish community is protected on the federal level and right now he's working very hard to try to get that FEMA funding, he's working with our newly elected congresswoman from Queens, Grace Meng, who's also been of tremendous help, uh, and uh, they're doing uh, they're doing a great job up there in, in DC. Okay, anything on the horizon that right now, aside from
0: school affordability, I mean, what 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 is it that people should be looking at as as far as you know what what are their you know what as far as their political uh, f- horizon for uh, for the Orthodox community? I mean,
2: politically speaking, is it just
0: money? You know, are there other things out there that uh, you know that we? Is it just bringing home the bacon? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with bringing home the bacon.
2: Well, I think it's it's about advocating for the for the needs of the Jewish community. and I think we do that very well, and uh, and we've been successful at it. But as far as politically for the Orthodox community, we just have to look right in, right you know in our, our back door there, and for Rockaway, where we have a uh, ah, February 19th. February 19th, we have a special election for one week a, from Tuesday. For the council. So uh, maybe we'll be seeing another so, Orthodox cracking. Are, are you looking there.
0: closely at that race?
2: Uh, i uh, yeah, I've been I've been monitoring the race. Uh, okay. obviously it's it's not in the five towns where I call my home. It's it's in Farakaway, but uh, it seems like a pretty good race. Uh Pesa Josina is in a very crowded field of candidates, but uh, if so there's it an Orthodox candidate. I think
0: we mentioned this on the show a couple of weeks ago. Orthodox candidate running and within a African American majority district.
2: Yeah, the majority is African American. I believe there's seven other candidates uh, in addition to Pesach uh, and who are of uh, of African American descent. And um, he's uh, you know divide and conquer strategy. Uh, possibly, perhaps you know, they pulled out about. Uh, Three thousand votes for Phil Goldfeder, uh, who is assemblyman now the assemblyman, exactly, sure. and uh, I I'm be-
0: sure a good, a good friend and buddy of yours, and went in Albany. Uh,
2: I think, yeah, he's, he's and a great advocate for the uh, uh, of both of ours. He speaks absolutely. very highly of you as well. Michael. That's very kind. So uh, hopefully, if they can pull out those type of votes uh, on February nineteenth, which is probably going to be pretty uh, a pretty cold, wintry day, if uh, we take the last few days as any indication, uh, we could have a new councilman, a new Orthodox Jewish councilman in the New York City Council.
0: Now. Just a thought. Do you feel that the obviously the federal issues, the Israel issues are, are clearly dominate a lot of people's consciousness with regard to politics and people look and they say, oh, it's Israel, it's Iran, it's Syria, Hezbollah. We don't we, we look at that and we look at every candidate and say, are they pro-Israel? Are, are people out there in the community, do they look at every candidate and say, are they pro School choice, or or that we're not conditioned yet for that. That's
2: a very good point. I don't think that I don't think that people are conditioned to think like that. They definitely think more globally as to how this candidate would affect Israel. And uh, so, how and, do we how do we change that mentality? Well, I think Israel is very important. I think they should continue to think like that, but they should also keep in to, in, in consideration the tuition crisis. I didn't even which change. Is, I should have said adjust <laughs> the mentality. So, so. Well, APEC is doing a wonderful job keeping up that mentality. And uh, I think it's very important that they realize that you know they can affect change based on the candidates that they support. And uh, whether or not they agree with them socially or not, I think school choice should uh, factor into their considerations as to which candidates they support.
0: No question about it. So uh, just to then very quickly as we close with regard to our own backyard, uh, we're going to see potentially a significant disenfranchisement of the Orthodox community of the Five Towns, and uh, the uh, th- we we we've gone through redistricting uh, several times at, of different places, and it was mentioned earlier on the show. But uh, the Five Towns area, the heavily Orthodox area of the Five Towns of Nassau County, is seems to be going to be chopped up into four legislative districts. It's
2: it's very unfortunate, and this follows the theme of the night, which is Republicans going crazy. Honestly, Republican, yes, exactly. Uh, it's, uh, it's, I think it
0: was stupid as opposed to crazy, but you can
2: uh, f- feel free to. All right, well, listen, feel free to
0: take poetic license. I
2: think I think it's very unfortunate that uh, you know the Jewish community went on a limb and elected uh, a from an Orthodox legislator and. Uh, so far, he's been a no-show as far as trying to make sure that the Jewish community stays together in the five towns. Last year, they had a redistricting plan that had uh, a very similar map as this year, and uh, it, it's it's horrible. It slices up Lawrence and Cedars and the five towns. and uh, But just for a second, what, wouldn't it be better
0: for the Jewish community to be in multiple districts? They have multiple... Representatives?
2: Well, p- perhaps if there was a large constituency in each of those districts. But this really slices them up in a way that uh, – They're insignificant. They're very insignificant uh. if they're sliced up like that. So wow. Uh, so,
0: so the threat essentially is is you take a very cohesive voting block and you, you slice it and dice it up. And then it's really irrelevant to the process. It minimizes
2: voting. any input that the Jewish community has. And, and it's very unfortunate. And doesn't
0: that actually hurt the, uh, the future prospects of that uh, – of, of legislator Capel? the republican i mean once you see that that's the trend of, has been republican for that community 80. or for that for our community i should say yeah.
2: I mean, yeah, he took it's over it. It's kind of puzzling. For, it, it, it is very puzzling. And, uh, you know, I don't think that most people so are aware not, of this. So maybe
0: after all, it's not the crazy party. It's the stupid party. <laughs> so, well, I'm outraged by it, and I'll continue to be outraged by it. So uh, I'm glad that you mentioned it and brought it up. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> so this is Spin Class Politics with Michael Fragin And uh, thank you for joining us on the stream and on the video and uh, with the live audience here. Uh, stay tuned for my good friend and buddy, Charlie Harari with The Book of Life, Thursday Night Extravaganza. Uh, here on the Nahum Segal Network.